there are Sarah Zimmer. Yep. So obviously that's another person, you know, just as well as I do, if not even better. Yeah. She's definitely good people. Yeah, I'm that's right. So driven, she said she came to Petawawa, remustered from the Navy there. Yep. And, uh, it, you know, it's so interesting when you have people, uh, tell their stories that she did that when she came to Petawawa, she didn't know she fed in, like she left her, you know, her comfort zone and coming to an army base. And, um, you know, she said how nervous she was. She doesn't have a lot of friends. And, and, um, when you're living there for so many years, you don't take note that, you know, people that are coming in there are, you know, probably not doing well initially because they just don't know anybody and they've left all their friends and family. Right. Yeah. So, um, it, it was good for, uh, for her to, to tell us how that we, uh, able to you know and, and she used she like it's something you didn't know with her because she has such an outgoing personality and she just fit right in at work anyway there was no work on our part it was just she was just a pleasure to be drive. around you know you'd yeah. give her task and it was it was going to be done yeah that's right oh yeah for sure <laughs> she shot she shot up too i think um and then she became a lab tech wasn't her x-ray tech x-ray yeah 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 that's right so here's a person you know driven in her life, uh, didn't find a place to sit down and just take whatever was coming. She went, went after things. So, uh, been, uh, thanks again there, Sarah, for writing that in there. It was beautiful to hear your voice on the thing there. Yeah. She said to pass on her well wishes again. I was, uh, had some correspondence with her yesterday. So she said, Oh yeah. On, okay. Pass perfect. On perfect. Uh, yeah. Again, when I get all those contacts from you there, I can reach out to all these fine folks. Yeah. Uh, the, um, uh, Lauren there, Lauren Turner. Yeah, that's right. So when I met him he was, uh, MWO taking over Medcoy at, uh, field Am, And I was his Sergeant. I was probably a year away from the PA course or yeah. Cause, and then he was only there a short time, a few months. And then he, uh, was, then he ended up, uh, doing pre-deployment training, going to Afghanistan. So I took over his uh, position for when he was gone. Um, but, uh, and then we kind of just got to know, and there's another guy, you know, those, one of those leaders that, uh, he never had to, uh, belittle you or talk down to you. And in fact, his, his skill was giving people positive vibes and praise. And then you just running with that kind of feeling, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's, you know, there's, I, I would say there's no better compliment to give somebody than to ask them what they think. So what do you think we should do? Or, you know, people, some people with a, a bit of an ego may not want to ask people or show that they may not know hundred percent of what's going on. Cause they may think people may look down on them and that, yep. and that's a, that's a humility thing you have to get past because I tell you, if there's a room full of people and you're the one in charge of them, I guarantee you putting two of them together, they probably know more than you. <laughs> and if you could just tap into that, you're going to go so much quicker with that task. Right. So, um, Lauren was a, a good person on, on, on showing me that, you know, tap into the troops because they'll, they'll move heaven and earth for you. If you just, uh, give them a little bit of praise and, and let them know that, you know, they're, they're willing, they're capable of doing the job and, and they'll show you they are right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, and he's actually down here now. I just met him at the Trent Hospital. He was working there, but he just retired. Yeah. So he actually retired from the CF. He was the 
uh, school chief in Borden there. Uh, he's doing IR and um, he decided to come back to uh, Trent where his family was. And, and um, he took over at the Quinty Healthcare System there. He was looking after a department in that system. So um, yeah, I'll have to reach out to him again too. I know he's in the area, so we'll have to do a winery run together. <laughs> uh, so we're getting down close here. I got five left on my list there. So Brendan Hines. I don't know if you ever had the pleasure of meeting him. Engineer. He was a combat engineer. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I worked with him at 2CR for years. And um, and then he ended up going to JTF2 there. He was their uh, explosive expert to going over into that realm. Anyway, he tells the story that we were sitting at a table at Whistler. So they put a can together for us in this uh, gravel pit. Because uh, I was with uh, C-Gyver at the time there, uh, Joint Instruments Response Unit. And um, so we were there a couple of days, and then he showed up uh, with the other boys from the hill. Anyway, we all, hey, let's go, blah, 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 sit together at a table. And one of the guys that showed up that day, uh, some guy dressed in CV, some NWO from the hill, said, hey, uh, we're come over to our table and said to the boys, he goes, hey, uh, we're uh, supposed to kind of eat together, you know. <laughs> not supposed to, we're not supposed to eat with the other unit. <laughs> of course, me sitting there, you know, my arrogant way, I said, who the hell told you that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we can eat with whoever the hell we want. And he goes to me, uh, knowing that he's a MWO, uh, goes to me and, is, and he goes, um, what, you got a problem with that? I said, I sure the fuck do. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, he didn't know what to do, and he turned around and walked away. <laughs> Because yeah. I was in CVs too. He didn't know who I was. Literally, you know, <laughs> that you know I was who I am? After. No, I don't. <laughs> What's that? I said, do you know who I am? No, I don't. Well, fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. So uh, anyway, we kept eating together after that. <laughs> <laughs> Great bunch of guys, though. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. So um, Brendan Hines. Like I said, you know, uh, working with the engineer was such a fantastic goal because these guys were so like, the, but I think in the military, the most challenging um, trade, I think, was the combat engineers. Because here's these guys uh, that have to be at combat arms, physical fitness, and, and, and skill level that way. So they work with the infantry. So they got to be able to work with them. But they have to have also the full gamut of what a combat engineer is to take to that scene. So they're doing breachings, they're doing obstacles, they do road construction, they can do bridge building. <laughs> I mean, they just they just allow the military to move through a battle zone, right? And at the same time, they have to know how to operate their weapon and take up a section attack. Yeah. So, you know, just to, to work with these guys and uh, being there, their medic over the years, I was exposed to all the stuff. Plus, they're combat divers, they're uh, paratroopers. And as you know, when we got disbanded out of the Airborne Regiment, I was fortunate enough to go over with them. And their CEO there, Colonel McLeod, he was at the time, um, just an excellent guy. Also, I had Tom Ashman as a supervisor, which was just amazing. And, and Tom was just, uh, he would get you involved with everything, right? An outstanding leader. Anyway, so he got to be part of their dive team and that with the boys and, and wore my maroon bray over there as well with them in the, in the jump position. So... Um, endless training, endless stuff. Like, someone was also talking about, uh, to go on with that, Mike uh, 
uh, Cantley there when we were doing uh, jungle training down in Panama. Uh, one tidbit about that story that n- no one really knows is that, um, so I went down for heat stroke. Yeah. And uh, um, I remember when the, the CO came in to get me, um, I'll, I'll start off the beginning. So that morning we woke up four in the morning, had breakfast and started waterborne training. So that's all about, you know, putting your rocks together and learning how to swim across rivers in the jungle and making rafts and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of swimming in your combat and this stuff. It's a bit of a bag drive. So, um, at lunchtime we're after lunch, we're going to go for this nav through the jungle. And I don't know if you've been through a two canopy jungle, we budget about 400 meters an hour just because it is so thick. And, uh, and as you know, they, the American uh, Green Berets have retreated us there say, jungle no joke, jungle no joke. <laughs> and, uh, that shit will kill you. <laughs> no, anything, everything kills you down there. Caterpillars crawl across your skin and make your neck swell up. And, <laughs> just, you know, the 50 cal ants and whatever, these palm trees with these big, uh, we call them prickly palms or spike palm trees and he's got these foreign spikes all around him. But anyway, um, so when we go to have lunch, um, lunch is brought out to us. But as soon as it arrives, I get the order. I've got to go over and pick up all these IVs to give to the troops for this now in case anybody gets heat stroke or dehydrated. So I go over to the ZAM and this American medic shows up and um, all the guys are from the other section. There was like 400 of us down there with just a platoon of combat engineers, but all the rest were Americans. And um, I was the only medic. None of the uh, American medics uh, were doing the course. And um, so this medic didn't want to give out any IVs to non-medical people. So the sergeant major for them is freaking on her. Like, you had all these things, we need these. (laughs) He's screaming at her. And this poor female medic, corporal, she's just standing there going, sir, stop yelling at me, stop swearing at me. They're stop yelling at me. Stop swearing. This guy is losing his shit, right? And uh, because she won't hand out this stuff, so this takes. So now, like, I go up to the chain. Someone's got to make a decision. I'm standing around there this whole time. Anyway, by the time I get the uh, IV bags and I get back to the section, as soon as I show up, they're like, "Okay, on the vehicles, we're heading out." And uh, so now everybody's eating, but now I have not eaten lunch now either. So I go to the LT. I said, "I, I didn't get a chance to eat." And he goes, uh, and he gives me a cracker he had left over from his lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we get on the ML and we go. And we were just going to be going to like, I think, uh, 5 o'clock. We had to be out of the jungle before it got dark because once you're in the jungle at night, you can't move, right? You're staying in the jungle. Uh, that's right. So um, anyway, so we, we go to this place and we jump off and we start off on our nav march. And during the nav, we get disorientated and we're off track somewhere. And uh, so now it's starting to get dusk and we're supposed to be at our last checkpoint, but we're no, we don't even know where we are. We're lost. And now I'm starting to get tunnel vision. Eh? Like I've, I've drank both my two, two quarts and my canteen. So I've done like five liters of water I've drank, but I haven't eaten anything. And, and no one has any food on them because we were brought up. We weren't given IMPs. We were, the lunch was given to us. Right. So, uh, Anyway, I, I start getting this tunnel vision, and now we flip to uh, white light, and we're just you know treading through the jungle trying to figure out where we're at. And uh, anyway, the radio guy beside me, we went into a little halt to figure out what was on the go. He drops to his knees and starts puking. 
and I go over to him to see how he's doing. And as soon as I knelt down beside him, I was done. I started puking beside him. And uh, anyway, we both just fell down to the ground. We were both just laying on our back, just, you know, everything's just spinning, disorientated. Oh, yeah, it was not a good scene, man. It was the first time I ever had a heat stroke. And um, anyway, these engineers were right on us. You know, they took control of the situation, and the LT was actually in my section. And um, the boys, and of course, they're on the radio. I remember listening in the back where they're trying to give the information over the radio to the headquarters there. And finally, our warrant officer who's back in the bivy there, he goes, put fucking starlight on the radio. He's getting upset because the information wasn't. And then the guy on the radio comes across and goes, starlight is one of the casualties. And all you hear is radio silence. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Starlight, for those that might be listening to this, is uh, the uh, the radio code for um, medic. So all medics are known as Starlight. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Good. Sorry, Steve. Yeah, not everybody's military, for sure. And uh, anyway, um, to make a long story short, uh, they try to anyway go into the details they tried to get ivs into us because we were so disorientated we had none of us had any water left um couldn't drink anything i was going in and out of consciousness by this time they were trying to get the ivs going on both of us and the night before i actually went through iv training with everybody in the platoon and had everybody starting iv on each other but at this point now we're all dehydrated no one can get an iv even by somebody who's practiced yeah, and I, actually myself, I was getting kind of nervous and I, even anxious almost because I, I couldn't drink and I was going in out of conscious. These guys don't get some fluids in us or get us out of here. You know, it didn't look good, right? So uh, anyway, so they got two Cathlons left or something out of all of them that were handed out. Um, they asked, they couldn't get it on the other guy, so I think they just rolled me over on my stomach besides the guy. So they rolled me over my stomach some white light, it got the IV going on on a radio guy, and then I rolled back on my back, and they started uh, trying to get IVs on me again. They got down to the last one. In fact, the pain of it was keeping me awake, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> they were digging everywhere to try to get these things to go. And um, and then they said, listen, Chief, we got we got one Cathlon left. We can't get this done. They said, uh they asked if I would give it a go. So one of the boys just propped up my head and held up my arm and I was able to get one in just around my elbow there. Yeah. And, uh, and it just, just luckily, I mean, Jesus, I would have probably had the same scenario as them trying to get an IV going on somebody too, right. When they're dehydrated like that, I just lucked out. And, uh, yeah. So, and then of course now we, we didn't know where we were and they didn't know where we were. So we had a pair of flare and I remember the boys trying to, look up through the trees there in the jungle and try to send up this pair flare shoots up, hits a branch and it comes back to the ground about 10 feet from my head, just burning off. Right. And the boys are jumping on top of me there to protect me and the radio guy. Oh man. And then of course they took a second attempt to wait. They stood further away and then finally got it up through the, the jungle. You can hear over the radio. Yeah. We think we know where you guys are. I think we were just like, 800 meters from the road or something, but it took them two hours to get to us <laughs> in the jungle at night. And when Good they times. came and got it, came in. Oh yeah. It was just craziness, man. They finally came in. They couldn't get a helicopter into us because of course there's too much canopy. Not you couldn't lower anybody down into it at night. Right. 
And uh, when the boys came in there, by this time they got to me, I had three IVs, 3,000 uh, or 3,000 CCs through me, and I still didn't have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and um, so um, they, uh, I just said, listen, boy, don't try to carry us out tonight. Just, if you can, just keep, stay with us right now, and then when it's first light, we can try to walk out. You know, and so that's what they ended up doing. I remember the CEO, he came in on that rescue party, Colonel McLeod, he nailed down to me and goes, so you should have drank your water, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I did, sir. I didn't eat lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, he goes to me, he goes, well, did you tell anybody? <laughs> yes, I did. did matter Matter of fact, I did. <laughs> anyway, that was the last I heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> so who's next on your list? Yeah, most people don't know that part of it. They just heard that I went down, which yeah. I was a fit guy. But when you don't have, and I tell you, I was a week after that before I could do a flight of stairs without seeing spots. It was crazy oh, yeah. how much your kidneys well, that story shut down was one and of, your electrolyte. That story where you had to give yourself an IV is one of the reasons I insisted on people carrying water on all RPT because they might not be the ones that needed it. Somebody else might. So you will bring water. Yeah, that's right. So, so who's you next time? We're running, into, we're running into two hours here. Okay, let's go on there. So, uh, okay, so Candy there, good job on that. Uh, Sharon and Neil Bell. Okay, so from Petawala back in the day, um, our kids were grew, grew up together, best friends. And uh, Sharon and Neil, he works for Atomic Energy there. He's kind of physicist uh, running all the radiation there. And Sharon, she's a, she has her own veterinarian practice here in Pembroke. Um, so our kids, of course, hung out together, and uh, they knew me through the civilian life and not my military atmosphere life. So she said when she was listening to your podcast that it opened up a different uh, <laughs> light on, on us military folks when here I'm trying to act, you know, professional. Hi, I'm Lawrence. Uh, <laughs> being all grown up, I have a kid now. I have to act responsible. <laughs> the truth is out there. Yeah, that's right. But such a lovely family. Like we, uh, when we went up to a pet there, when we couldn't get a campsite and we had our camper going up there. So they're like, we'll just park it on our, our lot. They had a vacant lot right up on uh, the Petawal River there. Beautiful, beautiful. So I'm glad to hear they put a house up there now. And, uh, yeah, they were so nice to let us pull in there and, and use their lot for the weekend. I can't remember exactly why we went up, but we spent pretty much the weekend with them. It was another good time. So <laughs> great people up there. Um, Ashley uh, Jardine. So she is P Med Tech, and she was at the school when we were there, of course, in the same company because uh, uh, Banting looks after the uh, P Med Techs as well as the PAs and the nurses. And um, her office was next door to ours. And I tell you, like I don't know if anybody recalls the the workload of the PA course, but we we always had three courses running with the one on phase two, one on phase three, and then of course the other group that was out on on. Uh, the other phase back of their units that we still had to look after until they um, wrote their certification exam. And um, we had uh, two or three PAs to do all that stuff where, so you can imagine the workload on that. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, guys would get sick or injured as a, a course director. So you couldn't always um, pile more work on them because they had to look after themselves. Right. Right. But her being in a total different section came over and offered to help all the time. She would 
uh, do reports for us, set up different time schedules, uh, and add to her own workload you know, just to make sure that other people in our section were being looked after. And I tell you, we came into work one day, and in all of our mail slot, there was a letter in there, in, a, in an envelope handwritten letter. And um, it was it was a letter to everybody in our within that company on what was positive about them. And no one knew who wrote these things. Uh, and uh, in mine, she talked about, you know, she, about my laugh that reverberated through concrete <laughs> yeah. and people, you know, that kind of thing. And um, through the through her writings and deduction of, from everybody that we finally figured out that it was her that wrote these kind of things. And, you know, like what kind of a personality uh, takes that much time out of what they do to ensure that the people that she's working with feel good about themselves? You know, and not take credit for it because she never signed a letter. No one knew it was on the go. I think it was the OC that said, he pointed out a word and his is, there's only one person that says that word. (laughs) Yeah, a rare, rare bird indeed. Yeah, that's right. And it pointed to her, right? So, and that's, that was Ashley. She was that kind of person. She talks about a funny note in there. Uh, We're all sitting out. Roger was sitting with us out front, Roger Watson out front of the school there on a picnic table at lunch and there was a squirrel in a tree above us and this thing started whipping acorns. <laughs> it's just standing up top there. Acorns down us while we're sitting at the table. <laughs> so that was a funny time there. Probably trying to break okay, them open on your melon. Yeah, I think someone's trying to call in on me right now so you're hearing a beep probably. But the last person I got on the list that said in the podcast was Dan Beal and Christine. Yep. Um, so, oh my goodness. Uh, so I'll start off with Dan there. Um, so many stories with Dan. I remember first getting into Petawawa and Dan was, uh, I think on his QL5 course at the time, but he's a remaster from artillery. I think at the time we yeah. were calling him Dan, Dan Gray Wolf was his name at that time. And, uh, uh the word was, you know, because we thought we were cocky in this and there. <laughs> I remember telling us, you wait till Dan Greywolf gets back here, he'll sort you guys out. <laughs> <laughs> he was a busy man. Sure enough. <laughs> Him and Brian Dan, Yeah, Dan larger than life. Once he walks into a room, he just has a presence about him and uh, a sureness about him um, that he knows what he's doing and just hang on to him, right? And uh, and he proved that. This is a guy that didn't wasn't just cocky because he thought he was good i mean dan uh excelled at being an artillery guy excelled at being a medic and then he went through selection um which not a lot of people even attempt and then once selected he became an assaulter uh and then he did that for a few years and said okay um he's in line to get his pa course he was offered that he said yeah sure let's go for it and went and became a pa uh, which again is no gimme. It's not a coffee course, believe me. And uh, and then of course went back in the uh, you know being doing all that medicine and stuff. Now now he's uh he's, I think he's a major. I think he just retired. Yeah, if I'm did, not mistaken. Think, yeah. yeah, but he was our uh, branch director or something at their own point. And uh, you know here's a guy that's uh, is so well educated, so well driven, not just academically academically, but as a leader and physical fitness, like just something that troops could aspire to. Right. So to have him as a friend uh, over the years is just an amazing, amazing thing to be having someone like that in your life. 
uh, Christine, uh, you know, she's uh, obviously she was a medic at one point. I don't think I knew her as a med tech. I only met her when she was a P med tech in Petawawa there. I don't know if you're the same way there. Yeah. Same for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right. Eh? And um, I, I never worked directly with her. I only know her from uh, parties at the house or uh, socializing at work and stuff like that. A uh, well-respected person. I wish I had more stories about Christine, but um, we never really worked together at the time. There, just these social times and stuff. And of course, when I heard that they were started, that they started dating, I'm like, yeah, that's a good pair. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right, Steve. So that's all 31 that I counted from the podcast. There, well, I, if there's, I was it, concentrating and not missing anybody. Well, if you did miss anybody, it's on me. I just haven't got all the paperwork together. I. Okay. So got it sorted out now, but if I come up with any more, you'll be the first to know about it. That's okay. I have no problem blaming it on you. <laughs> <laughs> and you were worried you wouldn't have anything to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, well, it's a good thing I didn't have a beer. Got any, anything else you want to finish off with? Um, I just look, if anybody else hasn't written something, um, I don't want to pressure anybody to do it. But I tell you, getting these things that have been the uplifting part of Michelle and I. Our kids love listening to them, and uh, it's uh, when you're kind of reminisce and think, oh, oh, okay, how much time do you have left? Or you're going through this stuff. Um, when you listen to these podcasts, it, it, uh, it's like people taking a weight off your shoulders. So thanks everybody for doing it. Yeah, well, um, it's a pleasure doing it for you, Chief. Um, it's unfortunately under the circumstances they are under, but. <laughs> it's a le- it's a lesson it's a lesson to people that uh, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. So don't be a dick to each other. Be nice to each other out there. Um, live life now because you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Well said. <laughs> okay, thank you, brother. All right, so that's Rockus Bacchus, the uh, Aho edition. And uh, if you have more letters or memories or anything, send them in to me at stevecopang at gmail.com and uh, I'll make sure Chief and Michelle and family get them and uh, thanks again for uh, just uh, being you Chief have a good one brother yeah Chimo (laughs) who uh